Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey everybody, I'm a fighting bear, alright? Now just hear me out, alright? It's normal, it's normal for a bear to enter a martial arts tournament, alright? It's completely fine, don't, don't even think about it, don't think twice about it, alright? Come on now. It's the King of Iron Fist tournament. All right, let's get it started. And it's me, your third generation uh, wrestler slash orphanage manager slash student of an armored version of myself. But I shouldn't be talking. I don't actually talk. I just make jaguar noises. King Bruiser Jake, how's it going? And it's me, the Devil Gene Wizard, Holden <laughs> McNeely. That's right. It's the Devil Gene can talk. The Devil Gene can't talk. Okay, but I just I wanted to personify it because it's got to be included in this intro. We're talking about Tekken. Hey, don't forget about me. Don't give. I'm I'm a member of the Tekken Force. I'm a generic <laughs> helmeted goon with a machine gun. I hope nobody punches me out in a single blow. Oh no! <laughs> I, oh, I was taken out like a little idiot. And we are finally talking about it. I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, and that's right. It's Tekken. We've got Tekken Eight. I am sorry. That is is that your best Lenny Hart impression? <laughs> are you kidding me? One of the greatest announcers in the history of wrestling and fighting games, you got to be like, Tekken 8! <laughs> By the way, I forgot, we are doing our show not on Tekken, we're doing our show on Tekken. Oh, God, I... I thought for a second I'd be able to manage that. I could be I could be the one that consistently just says Tekken instead of Tekken. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Iron Ken, you know, like Shoryuken, Hadouken. Ken means fist. That's why there's always a Ken at the end of all those. I'm going to say the name of the move I'm doing in anime and fighting games. Right, right. Tech is iron. Tekken, iron fist. Tekken. And that's why whenever you get into a fight with me, right before you get punched, you hear, you should taste my punchy fist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, always, I always scream the word fist right before I punch a person out. Well, and that's just I mean, the way it it's is. weird. It's weird in tech, in Tekken, because sometimes one of the moves is called like flying dagger tornado twist. And it's like you shoot lightning from your left foot and it like summons a beam of holy energy that like nukes your character. Or there's a different move called like 
a thousand hammers of the gods brought down with nuclear fire. And it's like a kind of twisty uppercut with no special effects. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you've got, you've got, as I mentioned, fighting bears. You've got a dude with a demon man with a sword. You've got lasers. He's not a demon man. He's a cyborg from, or he's the latest head of the Manji clan. <laughs> who robs from the rich and gives to the poor, and the fact that he looks like a fucked-up octopus sometimes is just a thing the designers did as a fun little joke. Androids, sumo wrestlers, uh, professional wrestlers, you name it. Lucky Chloe, whatever the fuck she is. Whatever Lucky Chloe is, you name it, they're all in this game. This game is... It makes so much sense now knowing what we're about to share with you about the original process of making this game, because it really does feel like everyone's just throwing whatever into the pot when it comes to roster, when it comes to story and it's really incredible stuff. And I think the one thing that I want to get off the dome right off top here is just uh, to let people know, like this game series has the Guinness record. I don't know if it's just fighting games or, or uh, uh, video. I think it's just fighting games for having the longest running storyline without any resets or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's why when people kind of mention Tekken lore being so interesting and so at times batshit crazy, it's because like they never restarted anything. This everything is canon to one storyline that can that, that exists chronologically. They don't even do like the prequel thing. I mean, I think Street Fighter makes you go cross-eyed a little bit because the timeline, it's like this game's a prequel to this game, and then this game happens way after, you know, right now in Street Fighter Six, we're in the everyone's older finally like and we're like mm-hmm. but with tekken we we you know there's we've been get, we've been making them older since tekken 3 yeah i mean i, I believe between tekken 1 and tekken 2 uh is is literally literal seconds have passed <laughs> before they start up the storyline of that and then after tekken 2 there's a 20 year time jump to tekken 3 that's by far the longest one so you're dealing with a lot of people's kids and stuff like that in that roster after that it's like maybe a couple years in between each game, if that storyline wise. To be fair, uh, we're dealing with other with like the male characters, kids and older versions of themselves. The hot chicks, they froze in a tube and impregnated for this so that they could show up in the sequels and still be hotties. Yes. And t- oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that. You have a very mechanically sound, unique game that is just doing, it's on its own course, that's really stood out as its own unique thing. I mean, to the point where I think it just as much as there are Smash players, there are just Tekken players. Yeah. They, they don't fuck with other fighting games. They only focus on Tekken because of the very specific approach to fighting games that the Tekken franchise is and has been. And it's pretty consistent. You know, there's a bit of a misstep, people would probably say, with Tekken 4. Besides that, they've really just kept their head in the game, their eyes on the prize, consistently making strong, strong games and not worrying about the fighting game boom uh, that happened necessarily and not worrying about, you know, and now they, they like stuck with their guns for so long and just stayed in the game so long. Now there's a second fighting game boom and people are hype as fuck about Tekken 8 dropping in 2024. And I am too. This is such a unique and wonderful franchise. I can't say enough good things. And what's great about it is, for me, and here's my gush, I loved, I was a PlayStation kid, 
Tekken was such a huge deal for me. Tekken 2, I loved, but Tekken 3. And again, as a lonely kid, didn't have... Uh, uh, I had an older brother, or have an older brother, but didn't have him around much playing fighting games with me. I was very solo playing Tekken 3. And still, it was like one of the best solo, single-player fighting game experiences I've I've ever uh, enjoyed. I, I mean, just I the sheer... When you saw that CGI cutscene of uh, Kazuya using his own father as a human shield. <laughs> but yeah, it was... It, yes. I, th- that was back in the day when I was chasing cutscenes by like beating it with every single character and you know, the, it seemed like the unlock list of spe- special characters was fucking endless. Like they just kept throwing new characters at you even, you know, and they'd be crazy True Ogre is such a crazy <laughs> unlock. Same with um, uh, Gone. Gone was such a weird one. And like, I was just blown away. Gone is the tiny cartoon dinosaur guy that like feels like he's in a completely wrong game. Well, you know? he's, he was a, he was in theory the first big crossover, you know, uh-huh. before Negan, before uh, Akuma. Yeah. There was Gone, who was an anime and a manga character. Yeah, it, it, it's. It, but for me, I had no reference point no. for that, so it was just so weird and out of nowhere. And they all were in cutscenes together and stuff, and and it was just such a wonderful. And then there's a whole fucking beat 'em up mode that was f- wonderfully done and challenging as hell. And there was bowling, and there, it just like they just kept throwing mm-hmm. crazy. And I believe that stuff you had to unlock. So you'd be like playing the game, and then all of a sudden I'm like, "There's a beat 'em up mode in this <laughs> game? Are you kidding?" And just getting obsessed with that roster and all the unlockables and everything that you could do in that game, just fully single player. I do remember pissing people off though. Eventually playing them as Eddie Gordo, and I think that was the first time I had they they would make me like choose a different character. Mm-hmm. Because he was mm-hmm. so obnoxious, uh, his his fight style and everything. That's the only reason any of us even know what Capoeira is. Yes, is because of that character, totally. which is uh, incredibly fascinating. For me, I was not a PlayStation kid, and Tekken was uh, an arcade thing. Sure, it was in every movie theater, every bowling alley, every children's amusement zone in a hotel. And God, one of my earliest memories of uh, Tekken is playing a Tekken 2 cabinet, uh, playing as obviously devil, and then discovering you could play as angel if you just hit a different button. Yes. And finding out that, because I was a Street Fighter kid, that this character could shoot a rad laser beam and like fly in the air and shoot an even radder laser beam. And I was like plowing through the uh, CPU. I was like taking out every other child that came up to me. Because I just spammed this one stupid move that like, you know, this is a boss character. The Tekken franchise specifically is kind of about avoiding, for the most part, uh, projectile spam. And then an older kid walked up without saying a word, just like started playing against me. And I was like, hey, 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 you don't know about my ultra secret technique of hitting two buttons and (laughs) unleashing the cheapest move in the game. (laughs) And I remember the the pit of my stomach just plummeting as I saw him duck under the laser beam and walk <laughs> towards me. And then I was like, all right, 
flying laser beam. And then he <laughs> ran under the laser beam and just whooped my ass so definitively that I was like, no, my unbeatable child technique. How could this be? That's awesome. And obviously I was friends with people with PlayStations, PlayStation 2s, PlayStation 3s. And I think one of the great things about Tekken uh, that made it so memorable and such a vital part of uh, the fighting game uh, scene is it's a game. It's 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 a game where like absolute noobs could have a blast playing with each other because every fighter has their own unique style. Every fighter has their own uh, like kind of energy about them. And you can button mash really just and do some cool shit because so much of the game is based on chaining together these combos and like the move list is so vast. So in like encyclopedic, the amount mm -hmm. of like little things you can do with all of these characters that you're just like, you're just, you have no, have no idea what you're doing, but all of a sudden your character just like flipped backwards, did like a dive kick and then like followed up with like a three hit punch combo and you feel like a fucking master. And then you watch Pro Tekken where like uh -huh. all of these, you know, each character's range, each character's toolkit, each character's. Uh, frame data is like burned into your memory. This is the kind of thing that takes like beyond hours, like human years to truly master. And they are like executing these high value combos, these strings that like can go on forever. And you realize just how deep and just how like how you need to be truly masterful to get a, to like play this game at the level that a professional or at least a competition requires. And the amount of uh, weird little pockets of uh, scenes that, like, have made their way to the global kind of elite, the Korean scene in the 2010s, and now the Pakistani scene in the modern era, where, like, it was just people hanging out in arcades, just, like, playing little tournaments and learning from each other. And it's... For all the silliness and for all the Japan cool edgelord shit that this game throws out there, there's something really wholesome. There's something, you know, about just watching the love story between Kuma and Panda, mm -hmm. the weird bro ship between Phoenix and Law. And, uh, of course, a series of Japanese Zaibatsu heads throwing each other off of cliffs to very unsatisfactory results. <laughs> the amount of cliff throwing off that happens in this series is substantial. We'll just say it is It is really on another level, and it's such a wonderful through line of the game. It's like, you threw me off the cliff in the last game. I throw you off the cliff in this game. <laughs> and wink and smile at the camera. Um, I want to. He didn't wink. That diminishes <laughs> how creepy Kazuya's smile truly is. Yeah, and he does it a lot. Yes. He really. I, I, has I a, definitely. Obviously, we're not going to go through the whole lore. That's not what this podcast is. We're not going to go through the whole lore of the but series. It's but it's very fun to talk. But about. it's very fun to talk about, and we will get into it. Um, and also, you got to go watch one of the many lore videos. Every one of them will have the smiley. Uh, <laughs> ju uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kazuya. Kazuya. Is, okay. Heihachi, yes. Pointy hair, yes. Big, uh, you know the 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 original Kazuya, His the protagonist son. of one and two. Yeah. Jin Kazama, the estranged son of Kazuya. Of Kazuya with that he had with June. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and that is that's that's the main family 
situ- issue, and they all hate each other, and they're all trying to kill each other. Well, then Lee's their adopted son, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Reina's now in the. She's fighting with uh, Mishima Karate, and we don't even know what her deal is. But but all this to say, I wanted to bring in one more thing before we get into the history of Tekken. And that is just also the day that um, my friend showed up with like some video game magazine and we opened the pages. I remember we were sitting outside of a Quiznos that my buddy worked at and he opened it up to the PlayStation 2 and the showcase, the pic- little pictures to showcase the awesome new upgrading graphics for the PlayStation 2 were of a game called Tekken Tag. Mm. And I remember getting that PlayStation 2 and throwing in Tekken Tag and it was such a good initial showcase for the graphical quality of the PlayStation. It was mind-blowingly good-looking. It was amazing. And and so not only has this franchise been this like incredible lore thing, this incredible, you know, deep mechanic uh fighting game that's that's been a part of the FGC for quite a long time uh and been been uh you know, always in the pack of Evo games that you're going to be seeing almost always. And uh, then it also was just this incredible like showcase. Like we 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 also have to introduce the fact that 3D was wholly new, and Tekken was always on the the forefront of like showing you what these polygons could do and bringing. You know, it was like Mario 64. Tekken. I mean, they they were kind of all up, you know, in, in a few other games, obviously like racing games and stuff. But Namco specifically, and we'll get into the history of Namco, especially when it comes to introducing 3D rendered video game graphics to the world. You know, this this game is kind of synonymous with their pioneering of the form in that way. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I was thinking this all week, and I, I'm pretty sure, I definitely think I made this point during the um, Tron episode as well as the Toy Story episode, but it keeps coming back to me that, like, how weird it is for, uh, I guess, us aging millennials to, like, grow up alongside the uh, blossoming of computer graphics as an art form, as uh-huh. a medium. Yes. Because how rare is it that, like, the human race literally creates from whole cloth a wholly new method of like portraying the world around it. Mm-hmm. Like it was the, what you're talking about that, like hunger for the cutscenes, that hunger for graphics was so intoxicating because it was, it wasn't a drawing. It wasn't a sculpture. It wasn't a movie. It was something new, something yes. we had never seen before, not just in our lifetimes, but like in the history of the human race 
and looking at those cutscenes and looking at those early graphics now, it's comically amateurish. But at the time, it really was like nothing else had ever been. You know, it's like if holograms, someone finally figures out Star Trek style fully immersive holograms. Uh-huh. It was that mind shattering at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I always keep that in the back of my head talking about this. So let's talk, let's fucking go. I'm so excited to talk about Tekken. Uh, it is, uh, you know, one, I think one person to mention early on too, uh, someone we're going to bring up a lot throughout the series, uh, talk about the series rather is, uh, Katsuhiro Harada. You might've heard his name before he's been around. It's interesting. He's credited, uh, as far as I could tell only as like a voice actor on the first two games, but he was clearly like heavily involved. But I think it's just because a, as we'll get into a ton of people, were involved in creating the first couple of games before he's eventually director. I believe he's listed as director on Tekken 3, and Tekken 3 is so beloved that that really kind of made him this mainstay player in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get his name out there initially. But let's go way before Harada's uh, existence at Namco. I want to give a brief history of Namco. Oh, I haven't thought about this since our Pac-Man episode. Yeah, it'll, it'll be rehashing a little bit, but I need to set the stage here. It's not a lot, but I want to set the stage for for sure. Back in 1955, uh, Masaya Nakamura wanted to get out of the shipbuilding business and saw his father, who owned a shotgun repair business, having success in the toy biz with popcorn guns. Nakamura starts the company, Nakamura Seisakusho Co. Limited. Uh, he purchases two hand-cranked rocking horses and gets them onto a rooftop garden of a popular department store. And this is a success. And this leads to him creating a full-on amusement space for uh, the department store uh, rooftop. And that is a hit. And now they're getting into the amusement business. And then they start creating their own amusement rides and machines and even partner with Disney and the like to create license rides and machines in Japan. By the 70s, they change the name to Namco and forge ahead into the burgeoning arcade business. This jump start, is started by their partnership with Atari, which had been distributing Atari games in Japan, and they eventually acquire Atari Japan. Atari is such a shit show company, and it's there. It's just so chaotic that they just manage to just like get the company, at least the Japan wing of it, because they don't know. How, you know, they were a mess. It is insane how many times in our show the phrase. Atari, some weird spinoff of Atari because they were so sloppy. Fuck the fuck the pooch, and a Japanese company got, uh, swooped in and just like actually made something decent out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of wild. They just sort of like kind of uh, just use that failure to move move upward in the uh, video game business. So they start making their own games. Uh, their first big hit is Galaxian in 1979. And then you got Pac-Man in 1980. And this cements them as leaders in the arcade and video game market worldwide. And they were way bigger in the arcade market at this time uh, with racing games and sports games. Nintendo's really kind of hitting hitting it big with uh, the home console business. Namco is always kind of like the 
kind of like kind of alongside Neo Geo is kind of like the arc. They, that's their business's arcades is the phys- physically walking into an amusement space, which isn't to say Namco also didn't have a close relationship with Nintendo and sure. produced a series of Famicom and NES classics on their own. Totally, totally. Uh, so they are way bigger in the arcade market, though, and it's with a lot of racing games and sports games. And this really uh, as they get success with these games, they're just funneling more money into their research and development department for arcades. And in 1992, they create a groundbreaking piece of hardware, the 3D arcade board System 22. This board could display polygonal 3D models with fully textured graphics. To make it, they got help from graphics and simulation company Evans and Sutherland. This company created flight simulations for the Pentagon. So they are just like, again, really groundbreaking with the technology at the time when it comes to especially fully rendered 3D graphics. With this board, they release Ridge Racer in 1993. This becomes a huge hit in arcades. And and it really was like, I remember, I don't know if it was specifically Ridge Racer, but like, I can almost vaguely remember walking into an arcade for the first time and seeing a, I mean, it's it's like a completely different world. You know, seeing like a, a full-on 3D graphic racing game. Mm-hmm. It was was it was mind blowing. It was it was clearly something other, something else, you know. Uh, and of course, this transitions perfectly into the next generation of consoles with the N sixty four, PlayStation, and Sega Saturn. And and uh, you know that that bringing the three D graphics home, Harada said everyone was feeling the new era, especially for the polygon technology. Namco was one or two steps ahead of everyone in the world, and both Sony and Namco understood that. So uh, this is how we get to the initial development of Tekken. Ridge Racer was a hit, but it wasn't, they weren't the only ones in the game because uh, while Ridge Racer was doing pretty well in Japan, all over the world, people were going nuts for Daytona. And uh, Sega had really just like been with their virtual, you know, Virtual Cop, Virtual Fighter series, had been really dominating the arcades in a way that Namco was struggling to catch up with. And if you look at, you know, there's Ridge Racer and there's Daytona, there's Virtua Cop, there's Time Crisis, and uh, Virtua Fighter had needed an answer as well. Namco had pretty much shat the bed during the uh, pixel, you know, the sprite-based fighting boom. Mm. King of Fighters, uh, the Neo Geo, that was an amazing run. Street Fighter was an amazing run. Mortal Kombat, an amazing run. Namco only had knuckleheads. (laughs) Which was a very forgotten fighting game. Only had six characters. Awful. There's a reason we don't remember this. So even though Namco was doing good, they were in a really tight competition where there are just... We talked about the brutality of the arcade industry before where every machine is a massive uh, expense for the arcade owners. And they have really demanding kind of uh, requirements for return rate, you know, player turnover... So, you know, if you miss a step in that business, someone will eat your lunch immediately, Mm -hmm. which ironically enough, Namco eventually does with uh, Virtua Fighter 2, but we'll get to that in a sec. Katsuhiro Harada said, more than 20 years ago, when there were already strong fighting game titles like Street Fighter, King of Fighters, and Virtua Fighter, my boss, along with upper management, often asked when we would catch up and even surpass these rivals in terms of sales. I said to them that it wouldn't be easy and would probably take 10 years, but that if we planned in a way that didn't rely on the popularity of the genre itself, that we would eventually come out on top. 
Initially, the project was not a fighting game necessarily. It was actually just a demo for animating 3D character models. But what are you going to do with those 3D character models? Might as well make them fight as a way to work out, you know, develop the software. So they were literally like, this is how rudimentary they could not even like they weren't even settled on fighting game. They were just like, uh, okay, what happens in a 3D space when a player pushes a button? What even does that look like? Like, that is how basic they were at this stage. So just all these people at the company are are just working on this technology and and trying to develop it. But once they realize that this is going to be a fighting game franchise, they acquire some Sega developers that had just created the very first 3D fighting game, Virtua Fighter. This includes Seiichi Ishii, who is a designer on Virtua Fighter and director of the first Tekken game. Meanwhile, the company met with Sony and got onboarded with the tech specifications of the upcoming PlayStation. They wanted to directly compete with Sega by developing games for this upcoming console and so create the Namco System 11 arcade board, which is derived from the PlayStation specifications. Bringing in all this new blood and throwing them all together for a project had the team abandoning any sound game design approach, instead opting for an inter-developer battle, as tech and co-creator Yutaka Konoe put it. An inter-developer battle. And I love, I said this to Jake before we started, but I was like, the approach to this game is not unlike the King of Iron Fist tournament. <laughs> it's a bunch of game devs all getting together and like competing with each other and fucking each other over. It does not sound like a very enjoyable development process for this first game. Kanoe uh, goes on to say, What's an inner developer battle? It's a method whereby anyone can freely implement an idea they think is good. And if it's unpopular, other staff members can just overwrite the data with something else. This led to a lot of clashing of egos. It was a project where you'd gradually start to hear staff members spouting lines like, there's no way I'm losing to him. There were members who liked to mouth off too, which pushed people to create things of such high quality that nobody would be able to say a word against them. That's the kind of unprecedented project it was. It was like the fucking fight itself. They were actually like in a tournament of sorts, trying to like create the best game they could to come out on top. And of course, Crunch was insane. Kodoi also spoke towards them lining up chairs to sleep on in the office and doing little other than working on the game during that time. The franchise starts out with eight playable characters along with the final boss, Heihachi Mishima. At uh, least that was the case in arcades. However, nine more playable characters were unlockable or exclusive to the home console version, bringing the roster up to 17. So one of the stories about the development of Tekken that I really love is how they were, one team in the group was really trying to make motion capture, like motion capture movement work. But the technology was so rudimentary and early stages that like there's blurry like Polaroid photos of the developers wearing these like horrific, I would say Giger-esque like spider webs of wires and sensors trying to like get the movements down. Yeah. And the animation team would then receive it and be like. This none of this is usable. Yeah. None of this is even remotely like they don't interact with each other properly. The data is full of noise. And, like, they, and they advertised it too, like they would show pictures of them in the crazy spider website yeah. being like, we're doing mocap over here. And it was like not <laughs> mocap. It was super not. No, mo-cap. The animators went in by hand, frame by frame and fixed all that shit. It's an it's with the release of the arcade cabinet, they managed to do the thing that uh, often happens where Sega was the king 
of the polygonal fighter with Virtua Fighter. They brought in the Virtua Fighter team, but Virtua Fighter 2 was on the horizon and it had the same it had much cleaner graphics, it had much more effects. A lot of people at the time said it played much better. I think it played much better. But back in the day, I barely remember seeing a Virtua 2 cabinet out in the wild. Maybe in like the one Megaplex arcade, they had one machine. Uh-huh. Because the thing was a technological supercar. Apparently, they Sega had purchased millions of dollars worth of processors and chips in order to make the thing work. Each cabinet was nightmarishly expensive. And your average arcade owner didn't want to drop that much money on a single fighting game cabinet. So Tekken rolls in with their basically a souped up PlayStation with like a little bit of extra RAM and some like better memory and just sweeps in. And like that's how they end up in the bowling alleys. That's how they end up in the movie theaters is a places in the places where they want to buy a new fighting game. Virtual Fighter 2 way too expensive. Can't even and Virtual Fighter 2 can't even like really run uh, kind of one-to-one on the Saturn hardware. Like it's just too advanced. It's too expensive. It's too complicated. Meanwhile, if you see an OG Tekken cabinet, even the art on the thing is really just done cheap and dirty and fast. But we were just so horny for 3D graphics, especially fighting games. And like, it was like the fighting game boom was going on and the 3D polygonal graphic boom was starting to happen. And so mash them together. And it was just this perfect, wonderful combo that like I had to play it. If I saw something like that in an arcade. So it just made perfect sense. You know, that if you could pull one of those off decently, which Namco does, especially with Tekken 2, uh, then you are going to be a success in arcades. It also helps that because they use the uh, PlayStation-based arcade board, the home version was almost one-to-one, nearly perfect port. So, like, that thrill that you played the game in the arcade and now you're playing it at home and it's the same game is something that like you know in the even in the Super Nintendo era was not a thing. Yeah. Like that was that was also a huge caveat. So they were they managed to take over the home market and by being a cheaper and good enough kind of uh version of the popular thing they managed to be in way more faces than Virtual Fighter 2 ever could. Another thing that really set it apart that definitely needs to be introduced here and it runs throughout the entire series is the four-button layout, four instead of three or six-button layout, and with each button being tied to a, to a limb. And this is still the case. So one button's the left arm, uh, another button's the right, and then the t- and then two buttons each, or a button each for each leg. Uh, and special moves not really present, especially in the first games. Um, combos weren't even a thing in the first game, even. And so I think that, like, that was good in a sense because I think new players could walk up to a machine and feel good about, you know, what they were doing, even though they're just simply mashing buttons because you're just, you know, somebody else isn't going to walk up and, you know, 
fucking uh, dragon punch your ass and then fatality you. You know, like you, you, you could kind of walk up to it and be okay. But the more skilled players definitely found a much deeper experience, especially as the series goes on. Also, in the first game, there were rising attacks, which were not in other fighting games, which always gave the player that was knocked down uh, a chance to, like, get advantage uh, upon, Mm. as they say in the biz, wake up or upon getting Mm -hmm. up off the ground. And that was kind of a big deal, too. Sort of kept the momentum going in this really fun way. The game is initially titled Rave War. However, Tekken won out, which translates, of course, to Iron Fist, as we talked about before. This is one of the first games to have a Japanese title that sold well in the U.S. The game is released at the end of 1994 in arcades in Japan and on PlayStation in Japan, uh, North America, and Europe throughout 1995. It boasted at the time just these amazing looking also environmental textures uh, that look like dog shit now. But at the time, they looked really fucking good. And it, and it ran in 60 frames per second. Um, and that was another big, big part of its, I think, people people's enjoyment of the game. Virtua Fighter, which would have been most people's exposure to a 3D fighter at that point, ran at 30 FPS. So in motion... Tekken definitely looked a lot slicker. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was definitely a smoothness to it early out the gate. But man, Tekken one's cool as shit. Tekken two, I just that in my mind was when the series really got going off the ground. It, it comes just a year after uh, the first game. Namco's continued to experiment with the new franchise. The first game was this big giant experiment, and it yielded varying results. But now they had a foundation to work off of, and so now they can improve on this this uh, experiment that they had been working on with Tekken Two. They upped the roster from seventeen to twenty five characters. One thing I thought that found out was is very interesting. I had no idea about this with Tekken Two. The arcade cabinet for Tekken Two had all these unlockable characters, but they were only released. Via a time release system. Oh. So it was, they were only unlocked by by just plugging the arcade cabinet in and getting use out of it, which was this incentive for arcades to buy them up quick so they could get those unlocked characters out as soon as humanly possible. I literally, yeah, I assumed the same that you did that like just some OG pro like just beat the game on perfect mode when I wasn't there at the arcade. Right. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, it it was just this slow drip that incentivized use of the cabinet in in the actual arcade. Fan favorites emerged from this game, such as Jun Kazama, Lei Wulong, Devil Angel, Bruce Irvin, and Bake Sandu. Roger the Kangaroo was actually created. That's the boxing kangaroo who also has an alternative uh, Velociraptor skin. Which is which I remember finding to be so badass. Uh, that was just some somebody on the dev team on their own time created Roger the Kangaroo almost as a joke, and then brought it in, and everyone liked it so much that they threw the kangaroo into the game. And honestly, I don't think we'd have a fighting bear. I don't think we'd have panda. I don't think we'd have some of the sillier characters in the game as as like a um, element of the franchise without Roger the Kangaroo. I think he kind of I mean, established Kuma, Kuma was in there in one. Oh, but, was Kuma, yeah. Kuma was in one. But still, I don't know. I just feel like Roger the Kangaroo or, or uh, how about this? You wouldn't have what's his name? The uh, uh, oh, what's his name? The 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 wooden uh, training dummy, Mokujin. I think. Mokujin. Mokujin. We wouldn't have stuff like that. I don't think without without Roger the Kangaroo. I feel like Roger 
kind of brought this like really this like jump the sharkiness Mm -hmm. into the franchise that kind of established their ability to really do whatever and be silly if they want with all these super serious fighters also in the mix. And though they were mostly disturbing looking at best, the franchise stood out with its fully rendered CGI cutscenes. There is an early focus on story, you know, and, and we'll get more into the lore later I want to do a whole like rundown uh, uh, or a whole section on the lore, but somebody will chime in. Mm-hmm. Someone will chime in and say like, "Oh, you know, Street Fighter had the ending screens. Like Mortal Kombat had like the little ending text or whatever. The full motion video, yeah. was unprecedented yes. and fully CG animated. Even that weird one in Tekken One where King is dancing around a bunch of poorly captured gifs of children celebrating." It definitely made it feel like you were taking part in a silly but important saga. Yeah, a cinematic tale as opposed to this just kind of vague and trying to put put the pieces together based on these like just single screens with like a little piece of dialogue or something in a picture, which was the or case. Or God forbid, the game manual that came with yeah. your home version disc. Exactly. And, you know, there's definitely lore to be found in all of that stuff. But for the first time, we're actually seeing like the victor of the tournament go home to their family or something like that, or have some issue with their sister or something that really much more fully painted a picture and established this longest running storyline that we were mentioning earlier. It really starts with that very first game, which is pretty incredible. There, there's definitely story to be had right up top with everything that happens, especially with Hihachi and his son and all that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, if Te- Tekken 2 is a big leap forward for the franchise, but this was fully cemented as a long-running success with Tekken 3. I mean, this thing was such a big step forward, in my opinion. From And I was already, like, all about Tekken 2 as a, as a you know, just home console player. I thought Tekken 2 was cool as shit. Tekken 3 came out, and you can even see it. I mean, if you pull it up, it's still it's still not, you know, obviously nearly as impressive today, but the even the graphical leap from 2 to 3 feels legitimate. What you are talking about is the difference between uh, segmented low-poly models and uh-huh. a full mesh model. If you look at Tekken 1 and 2, it's clear that these are arms and legs just kind of waggling on a torso, whereas Tekken 3 used a more, uh, uh, at the time, a modern rendering style that allowed the limbs to be fully connected to the character. It mm. really, uh, more so than the other games, felt like these were two virtual, like, humans in a life-or-death battle. And it's a very subtle difference, but it completely changes how you perceive the characters in motion. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Also with the third game, you had sidestepping, which allowed players to finally avoid attacks during a match uh, instead of just blocking them. They'd get a dodge and then and then be able to like get the one up on that. Uh, and with that came tech rolling or rolling to the side to get up faster, which had a very positive effect on the gameplay. Uh, and the third game was also a bit of an anomaly in terms of story. As we mentioned before, it's a 20-year time jump. We introduce a ton of new characters because of this. And you're also getting like this the kids of characters from the previous game. You've got like Jin Kazama, the offspring of Kazuya Mishima and Jun Kazama uh, within this game, you know, and, and I remember Jin was my guy. Like I definitely, I, I don't, I don't have as much of a memory of Tekken 2 having a specific, I probably was just the fucking Raptor with the boxing gloves, if, <laughs> if nothing else. And like Roger and stuff. I remember really, really, of course, cause I'm such like a Ryu main, like Jin Kazama out the gate. I was drawn to for, for Tekken three. Uh, and then uh, of course you have also the massively popular and often divisive newcomers like Eddie Gordo, man. I love pissing people off with Eddie Gordo. That was a fun time. And yeah, it was just this really wild roster. As I mentioned before, uh, I love to also shout outs to Dr. Bastanovich. The I think he I think he is like the last character you unlock in that game. And he's kind of that joke uh, entry into the roster because he's the scientist that created Roger and some of the other um and you know humanoid animals and he's, stuff. He's he's uh Alyssa the Basically, the pop idol cyborg girl's father. Yes, from uh, Seven. Created, yeah. uh, he's Yoshimitsu's best friend, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> and he uh, made uh, Brian Fury's uh, perpetual generator that made him uh, shoot even more helicopters with a chain gun. He, like, lays on the ground a lot as his fighting style and is, like, really obnoxious and, like, pathetic. And it's very funny. And uh, it's also with this game that Tekken went fully 3D as... As the already 3D polygonal figures were now fighting in fully 3D rendered backgrounds. That was another leap forward as well. This is also the first game that Katsuhiro Harada is credited as a director uh, and, uh, you know, becomes synonymous with the franchise, as mentioned before. The game releases in arcades in 1996 and on PlayStation in 1998 and is a bit of an endpoint for the first round of games in the series. This is, you know, Tekken Tag Tournament and there's a, also a Tekken Tag 2 uh, that comes later. Those are these, like, in-betweener games, essentially. It had, I believe, the same roster from Tekken 3, but this massive graphical upgrade to the PlayStation 2, and you could play it as a tag fighter or a solo fighter, uh, depending on what option you choose, but uh, that was kind of like, not really, there's not a lot of like canon lore shit going on in Tekken Tag 2. It's a little bit more of a, like this like, graphical showcase kind of in-betweener game uh, before we get to Tekken 4. Can we talk about Harada a little bit? Because yeah. his story is really fascinating. You know, like a lot of these uh, Japanese uh, video game and manga creators, he had a lot of pressure to study in university, and he ended up getting a degree in uh, psychology, which I find actually really fascinating, because after school, he kind of 
got into the weeds of the like arcade industry. He would spend countless hours in amusement centers and arcades. And I think in a way use his psychology degree to kind of get into gamers heads and like what matters most to them and kind of pick up on what they find compelling. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the characters have this cool factor that I think is based on Harada's own personal taste. Uh, he did study judo, karate, and uh, taekwondo as a younger man, but he has an impeccable uh, sense of showmanship. He's kind of uh, the Stan Lee of the Tekken franchise. He famously uh, showed up to an Evo tournament in 2017 with a shirt that says, don't ask me for shit. <laughs> he will constantly uh, fire back at haters on Twitter. When Tekken X Street Fighter came out, he like interrupted a uh, panel with uh, Yoshinori Ono, whose name has come up. He was vital to the reinvigoration of the Street Fighter franchise. He showed up in like a boxing uh, outfit with a robe and belt and like challenged him to a one-on-one -on -one duel. Uh, he really, truly is a hype machine. He'll show up at gaming events and actually take place in tournaments. Like, he is absolutely wants his finger on the pulse with the fandom. And I think it's, he's a, he's a unique character, at least within the gaming industry, especially the Japanese gaming industry, for like being a prominent figurehead. For, you know, uh, I think... He was even rendered in like Negan's announcement trailer or uh, as like about to get like his head bashed in with a baseball bat. If not the announcement trailer, then like the date announcement trailer or whatever. But he is definitely he has ingratiated himself into tech and culture in a way that is unique and definitely kind of reinforces the kind of. Mixture of badass yet irreverent style that the franchise has kind of become known for. Yeah, he's su he's such an important part of this, and in a way that a lot of games. So, well, I, you know what's funny though? Fighting games is a little different, isn't it? Ed Boon, Mortal Kombat. Mm -hmm. Oh, and what's his name? We'll talk. We'll briefly mention for Street Fighter, he befriends the guy, and that's how we get to Tekken Cross or Street Fighter. Cross. Yoshinori Ono. Yeah, Yoshinori Ono is you know kind of like fighting games do kind of have that that human mascot weirdly enough in ways that other video games don't don't tend to have which is a lot of fun but he's probably the funnest one he's like the most and i love his scowl he has such a great scowl he's always wearing sunglasses he just he's such a good face of the franchise because he, he kind of encapsulates Tekken. He's both like, he on its face, he looks super fierce and self-serious and like mm -hmm. somebody you wouldn't want to mess with or somebody who wouldn't would be kind of prickly, but he's a silly guy. He's like a yeah. fun-loving, silly His dude. His friendship with uh, Masahiro Sakurai of Smash Brothers and Kirby fame is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, of course, also you've got Dent, Jin and Devil Jin in the more recent Smash, which is like such a fun uh, addition and everything. And it's it's, it's really cool. Well, Bandai Namco like basically developed those games. Yeah. So it's the fact that it took that long is kind of wild. Insane. So let's get into the kind of first or really the, the main only misstep for the franchise is at least according to a lot of people. Uh, and this is really due to a lot of staff changing over from Tekken 3 as well as just them figuring out how to innovate on the franchise. And I think in this game, they probably like flew a little too close to the sun is what it sounds like. They made some big changes. They added walls and ceilings, um, which is wholly new to the franchise. There was always endless stages before that. This is a seemingly small change. However, 
there's tons of issues that could be created with that. There were a lot, you know, essentially avoiding infinite combos is tricky once a wall is added. You've mm. got to like implement certain things and they were unable to fully, you know, uh, I think uh, work around that kind of stuff. They also threw in, and this was definitely a misstep, un- uneven terrain, which I just feel like it makes things just a little too up to chance or 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 maybe not luck based but it, it fucks with i think the the pureness of the fighting game experience i believe virtua fighter 3 introduced that as part of their kit and uh inverse kinematics like the ability to dynamically animate characters on uneven terrain was like exciting new technology at the time so uh, I think still they had this chip on their shoulder mm-hmm. to like keep up with Sega in this regard because they're still their number one uh, rival in the arcade and amusement centers. Tekken 4 was nightmarishly expensive because they had to create all new models, all new engines, work with all new hardware kind of defeating what made the original Tekken series so uh, appealing in the mass market was that it ran so great on home hardware and the mm. arcade cabinets themselves were so cheap. It just was this it kind of this this moment this dire moment for the especially arcade focused Japanese game developers because the arcade industry in America was tanking in just very very rapid at a rapid clip uh back during the 2000s as home hardware got kind of good so good that there wasn't really as much of a appeal to showing up at an arcade to play the latest and greatest and most mind-blowing games. Yeah, in general, this is an awkward time for fighting games. This is like the Dark Ages, for sure, right? Like, you had Mortal Kombat going 3D, which was... Street Fighter EX. Street Fighter EX. No no insult to Skullamania. We all love Skullamania. I fucking love... I want to suck his dick, dude. I love him (laughs) so much. But uh, his his boner, right, everybody? We got there. We got there. We didn't need to get there. I'm sorry. Sorry if there's like a kid listening or whatever. But if not, I hope you enjoyed the boater joke. Either way, um, there were also issues with balance. Jin was so OP in this game. Fans jokingly referred to the game as Jin 4. Uh, an anonymous insider at Namco stated that the poor reception of the game was due to these new implementations not being given the proper time to be ironed out in testing, as well as the character balance. Uh, and so, oh, was this Kazama-style karate? Was that the deal? That, like, in-universe, Jin Kazama was so upset with the uh, Mishima legacy that he's, I'm going to do my own karate, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be broken as fuck. Yeah, it was, he had, like, a pretty different moveset, uh, for sure, Mm -hmm. and and it was, it was way too, too strong, and largely, it just seems like they, they, you know, when you add this much stuff, and you only have a certain window to get it done in, and all this pressure from Namco to get the release out, and you don't give yourself enough time to properly test everything and make sure everything's implemented correctly and everything's running smooth, then it just creates a very divisive experience. And it just seemed like that's what happened. They were trying to... You're right about the chip on their shoulder. They were trying to get out the game out ahead of Virtual Fighter 4. They were still really just like completely feeling in, in uh, absolute competition with the Virtual Fighter series. And so they, they put out a bit of a clunker. Harada said, I believe that we have failed 
failed at times and are not always succeeding, especially for Tekken 4. The sales were high, but the player rating was bad. What's important is how the user feedbacks are taken in. Stopping what the users say no to or erasing what they say they dislike looks correct at first glance, but is actually not correct. And I really like that quote from Harada saying like, hey... Just because they didn't like it doesn't mean we need to just like immediately remove it from the game. They kept walls. They kept walls. And I think that was actually a good thing that they brought into the franchise. But they just realized like if we're going to have walls, we've got to smooth this shit out and 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 work on this more in like post, essentially work on this more in testing to make sure we, we've we've created an experience where you don't have infinite combos you don't have like really kind of in other words like quote unquote like cheap elements to the fighting game mm. uh so uh, harada actually leaves namco for a year at this time like he actually walks away like feeling like he is just done you know i, I think he really had such a bad experience with this game and with the reception but uh he it's it's i read it that his boss actually convinced him to come back and make make another game after some time and for this game please we need to know how the g corporation saga ends yeah what of g corporation for this game knowing it was possibly their last they went back to basics got rid of some of the negatively received innovations not all but they did get rid of terrain and brought back stuff that people love from Tekken 3, the mini games. Also, they didn't have any of that stuff. The mini games, the beat 'em up mode, the volleyball. I forgot about like the keep the the oh, almost yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah. That game was super fun as as hell too. And I think that was really the stuff that made me such a fan was all those extra modes that that said, "Hey, we like really respect you as the alone kid that has no friends that needs to play these games alone. You sad, dumb idiot. Why don't you get friends? We don't know." But whatever, here's some extra modes because we feel bad for you. And I thank you, Tekken. Thank you. The biggest innovation for the game was with the arcade cabinets themselves. This is actually the first time they incorporated. And this kind of blew my mind when I learned about this in arcades in general. You could purchase a card, uh, a Tekken.net card for five bucks, and it would save your player data on it for like your main. And you could even customize the look of the character by like purchasing stuff online. And you could take that card to the arcade, scan it, and it would, you know, pop all your stuff up and and keep all your stats and everything. And like that was a big deal. Another big deal was the PlayStation. Uh, they had PlayStation controller slots on the cabinet, so if you didn't want to use their wow, like, or, yeah, I didn't know you that. could bring in your own PlayStation controller and plug it in and and play, which is super cool. Uh, so Tekken 5 is this massive return to form. I think they also really like took their time with this one. They knew this was it. They, they, if they failed with Tekken 5, the franchise was done. Also, a lot of the uh, the kind of the, the real grunt work of like getting everything up for this new hardware, getting the models made, doing all that was taken care of for the most part. Uh, there aren't that many new characters in the game. Uh-huh. Uh, we got... Jin's cousin or something, Asuka Kazama. Uh, we got Feng Wei, the even angrier Chinese martial artist. Uh, Raven, the uh, ninja who looks like Wesley Snipes in Blade. And uh, does Roger Jr. count? <laughs> it's just Roger's wife and baby. And then they find out he was just hanging out in Dr. Paskovich's lair, getting shit faced and seeing kangaroo prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's it's fucking wild. I, and this, but don't worry, she 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 shacks up with Alex, the uh, Velociraptor. And also, really starting with four, and then even more so in five. We don't have a full story mode yet, but they're doing way more with the cutscenes and the storytelling for sure. <laughs> this game ends too with Jin essentially having a heel turn, which is a lot of fun. And, and that gets explored in Tekken 6. Jin, Jin is the good guy in this game, and he ends up uh, taking the throne of the uh, Mishima Zaibatsu. That's the evil corporation. The Shadaloo, essentially, of the Tekken universe that we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. It is, God, I love how like the Mishima Zaibatsu went from like a... Mid-level Japanese uh, like conglomerate that did some like military contracting uh-huh. to like by Tekken eight like the world is on fire as right. Mishima Zaibatsu has declared open the world a battle. Same with G Corporation, dude. G Corporation was just this like science lab biotech firm. Yeah, biotech yeah. firm, and all of a sudden it's like. They've got an army of men fighting for them and like <laughs> cyborgs and all fucking sorts of batshit craziness. It's it's a lot of fun what they how they just they just it's a lesson in heightening, folks. They yes. really just continue to heighten from game to game to game. And so with Tekken Six, they further improve on what they had worked on with Five with continued attention towards making the game appealing to newcomers. And this is when they add the rage system, which is a pretty big deal. This is like, because Tekken is a pretty pure, had been a pretty pure franchise up to this point when it came to mechanics. But again, because Virtua Fighter, Virtua Fighter was also less about magic attacks and lasers and projectiles and all that stuff. It was supposed to be more grounded. And so there weren't like super attacks there either. And again, the, the more Tekken emerges from that shadow, the more hype it gets. Yeah, the the rage system's like a like a comeback mechanic, kind of like V triggers in Street Fighter Five. You can, if you're low on health, your health bar start, starts flashing red, and it allows you to do like a crazy move that could, you know, bring, get you back into the fight or even uh, finish the deal with the against the oh, other opponent. Oh, so it's like a punishment on the person that was doing better yeah. than you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's, it was implemented uh, also in a way, and I do agree that this does help the spectator. I think someone who just walked in randomly and started watching a Tekken tournament can immediately understand the rage system mechanic mm. and it and immediately be like, oh, I get this, and this is really tense and really exciting, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It was it was almost more for the spectator than it was for the player, at least as Harada tells it, which I think is I think is interesting, but definitely like changes some of the format for sure. And this is furthered in Tekken Seven. In Tekken Seven. I mean, what a great, like, this is what got me back into the franchise. I think this is what got a lot of people back in the franchise. It has a full-fledged story mode, uh, even though they had always been doling out those CG cutscenes. Harada said, we've always had CG movies for the opening or character endings, etc. So I was, re- it was really important to provide that deep story experience. We were doing that from so long ago when other franchises were focusing solely on the competitive fighting element of the game. We had had this story element from early on, and that was one of the reasons for our success with a casual audience. It was just natural that we improved upon that for Tekken 7. And really something that like they obviously 
obviously were influenced by NetherRealm with that. NetherRealm was just knocking it out of the park with their story modes for both Mortal Kombat and Injustice, just doing such a good job with, with their handling of story. And Tekken before that was that were they were the story guys, so of course they're gonna be like, okay, now we got to have a story mode, and that really also had a major effect on the the kind of poor outing of Street Fighter V, which launched without any story mode. And then they eventually did put a story mode in, which I still have never played, which everyone, uh, because everyone said it was, it was trash. It's very silly. It is very, very silly. For sure. So it's the fact that like Tekken kind of kept at it with the highs and lows of the fighting game community in general. Like Tekken 7 is really the moment where it pays off. Yeah. Where like they are the last one standing. It's just a damn good fucking game, man. Yeah. It just really I I played the shit out of it. I never got serious about it. I never got like a main and like learned, you know, and got competitive. I don't even really think I played very much at all online competitive, but they had that great story mode. They had all this customization and a bunch of really good single player modes. They didn't, I I think they, no, they did. They implemented bowling later, but even just their like different fighting modes that they had for, um, you know, single player that weren't gimmicky or whatever were really fun and addictive. I forget. It was like the battle. There was one where like you kept like fighting opponents just one after the other and then you'd get like prizes and you'd like rank up and stuff and um it was just very addictive and well done and of course you know and then my boy akuma makes this big splash in this game it was like such a huge deal because tekken really had not had a lot of crossover events and then all of a sudden not only is akuma in the game he's like a major part of the fucking story yeah which was so crazy to like bring him fully into the lore and uh, I, I, he, that that got a lot of fans really hyped. That and Geese from King of Fighters was also in. Big surprise for everybody. Very exciting crossover event for everybody. And just goes to show like the respect that the other fi- big fighting game, uh, video game like dev dev groups had for the Tekken franchise all this time. Very cool collaboration for sure. I want to briefly, very briefly, I'm not an esports expert. I just I found this part of the story fascinating. And that is uh especially around the era of Tekken six and seven, there's this amazing thing where the diehards that like stuck with it find themselves now at the forefront of all of these competitions. Namco sponsors their own worldwide Tekken tours and King of Iron Fist tournaments. Evo is getting bigger and bigger. And as uh, the competition kind of oopsie doodles as Virtua Fighter fades into the background, it's weirdly enough, Tekken has these pockets where the original cabinet's cheaper price made it like the dominant game in a lot of these arcade cultures. And in these areas where arcade cultures stuck around as they kind of fell off in uh, Europe and North America, specifically the green arcade in Seoul, South Korea became a hotbed of Tekken mastery where uh, gods such as Bay J Min known as me because uh, initially he had focused on uh, a lot of characters uh, that used knee strikes in their kit, kind of emerged as these like gods of Tekken. And South Korea is not a particularly big country. It's about, I think, the same uh, amount of square area as Pennsylvania. So like weekly, everybody who was anybody would come to the same place and fight each other and learn from each other. Uh, It's during this era 
that uh, the Korean backdash or backdash canceling becomes like a de facto part of a pro player's toolkit, which basically involves giving yourself space much quickly than just jamming back on the joystick ever could. It is as Tekken 7 becomes more and more powerful that uh, a new player emerges, Arslan Ash, hailing from Pakistan, whose uh, Kazumi was nearly unbeatable. He took out me over and over again in a lot of really nail-biting and other times extremely dominating uh, uh, sets. And it was this kind of... uh, thing where Ni basically traveled to Pakistan, which was really hard. It is actually uh, the visa requirements, the travel bans, all of this stuff was all working against this like pocket of gamers to like break out into the greater world. So they were just like getting better and better in the shadows almost. Mm. Uh, there's other stuff happening where like Capcom's distributor in Korea like went under. So Tekken was like the only game in town for a lot of people. And there's also American uh, masters such as Anakin. And the uh, there's a great video online of the story of Little Majin, who made his way to the top three at Evo with King, who was a character that like nobody had any faith in because just a grappler character has just such a limited tool set in this game where it's all about mix ups and trying to like. It's actually very easy to counter a throw in Tekken. You just basically like tap the dominant arm of the throw that you're about to fall to. So like any pro player will know how to get out of most throws, but Lil Majin's story of just uh, like literally hung over <laughs> making his way into uh, the finals at Evo is incredible. It's so just like to even, I, I think I talked about it at the beginning of the episode. There's every character has so many moves. There's so many combos and you have to have so much knowledge that there's almost no bottom to like the well of information and experience you can gather to make yourself a better Tekken fighter. Yeah, it seems incredibly technically dense, a lot of labbing, a lot, and, and, and therefore like a ton of variation. And then with such a giant roster and everybody's got some unique stuff going on too when it comes to their, their, their kit, as they say, it's pretty outstanding. I think it, it's maybe probably the most dense fighter i think uh tech mechanically technically uh, of all of them it just you you there's so many different things you can do so many crazy combos and stuff and and to the point where you're like when does this combo end <laughs> when does it stop it's just crazy uh yeah it's it's, it's really wonderful also i want to give a shout out before we get into the lore uh, uh before we close out things I want to give a shout out to how wild the customization was, which really stood out to me with seven. It's something they started with five, which again, you could get that card. You could, and they really introduced to put a lot of work into throwing a ton of different like skins and just all sorts of things. You can customize your fucking health bar and customize everything and, and, and extravagantly like to a ridiculous, ridiculous levels. So you just have some crazy looking shit going on uh, if you're playing online against people. And it's something that, that they, Harada even talks about like other fighters. Yes, they have skins and stuff to a certain level, but nobody can get to the level of Tekken because they put an absurd amount of resources into that character customization. That's kind of, as a newcomer to Tekken, it's one of the things I find a little bit annoying (laughs) is like part of fighting games is like kind of at a glance figuring out what kind of fighter you're up against where like 
you see somebody in a taekwondo gi and you're like, all right, he's going to do a lot of big kicks. I I, I understand. Right. Like, oh, this person's a sumo wrestler. They're going to do a lot of like big pushes or like, oh, this is just a generic karate guy. I kind of, you know, you can kind of figure that out. Online multiplayer Tekken, you're just like, this is a lady with a traffic cone and booty shorts <laughs> yeah, on. I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. It's totally nuts. So, yeah, shout outs to them for that as well. And that is something that gets very addictive and fun immediately in the single player. So, again, if you're if you're not a competitive fighter, there's lots of fun to be had with a single player. And I, I do think you will still uh, have a, quite a bit of enjoyment with Tekken 8. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, the lore, it's so good. I watched a almost two-hour video that, that breaks down pretty much all of the lore of the Tekken games. What? Why'd you do that when Brian Cox did a perfectly adequate Dude, job in his most bored old man Everyone voice. watched that video, though. It's fucking hilarious. I kinda, it kind of perfectly nails the... Tekken vibe, kind of like Harada does. Like mm-hmm. it's very self serious, and at the same time, it is the silliest Winking thing ever. Fuck, and Brian yeah. Cox is very funny in it, and the copy he reads is even. They even know how silly <laughs> their lore can be. Harada said, "I thought it was a necessary element of Tekken, which is why we were one of the first to include 3D pre-rendered CG movies in our game in the ending movies, along with uh, long opening cinematic sequences. We also early on used real time rendered." story sequences. We always try to keep this in mind when working on Tekken. Before it is a fighting game, it is a character-based action game. The story isn't all that crazy or convoluted. If you take a look, you'll see it is all just about three generations of Mishimas trying to kill each other with everyone else just being pulled into this fight. But also, there's just so many batshit things going on. The whole devil gene thing, boxing kangaroos having kids who fight alongside mama in the pouch with the deadbeat dad at home, the wooden training dumb cyborgs, cyborgs, the wooden training dummy that's sentient and hangs out in the forest all day playing Tekken 3, the game that he is in at the time, uh, and at least until his wife beats him up for it. Oh my God, Mokujin's wife has the weirdest giant wooden knockers I've ever seen. You've got a hopeless romantic sumo wrestler, a mad scientist that shoots a laser down to Earth from space mm-hmm. that's not just a one wacky cutscene where he kills uh, Jack, what, Jack 2 with it? Which Jack? There's so many Jacks. There's so many Jacks. Jack 8. Yeah, Jack, the, he kills Jack 2 with it. He uh, th- That laser comes back. Uh, Hihashi uses it to destroy the, uh, uh, what is it called? What's the company again? G-Corp? No, the other one. Mishima. The Mishima Zaibatsu? Yeah, he, Hihashi uses it to destroy the Mishima uh, Shibatsu, uh Corporation building. Uh, you know, it's just, and, and that fact alone, like they brought this laser in the sky back from, I believe, Tekken 3. Three and used it in Tekken 7, you know? And it's like, hey, remember this crazy space laser we introduced? That's still in existence, and we're returning to it as a story element. It's just... It's really impressive how how much they bring back and everything. In the Tekken 8 demo, uh, don't worry, Kazuya shoots a laser blindly at the sky and takes out all the world's military satellites. (laughs) Oh, God, it's... We're not even getting into Nina and Anna Williams. Paul Phoenix, who is like beefed with the Mishimas as well as the bear. Now the bear is his number one enemy. Mm-hmm. The Julia and the forest people, like all of these weird characters bouncing off each other all for their own ends. 
But I am glad that in Tekken 8, they are supposedly bringing an end, quote unquote, to the Mishima saga. I think it's time. I think it's been too many cliffs at this point. And mm-hmm. I'm eager to see what a what a new take on the Iron Fist tournament can be after this. That being said, it feels great. Uh, I Right now, as of recording, the demo is available. I played it on Steam. The graphics are incredible. Every fight feels epic. The rage meter, the heat meter, all give you these tools to come back from behind. The hits feel awesome. The arcade mode, where you play like a little chibi guy, where you're they're like trying to give you the feel. I guess Street Fighter VI did the same thing as well, trying to use arcade culture and FGC culture as a like fun community you can step your feet into. It's it's just at right now it is the perfect package and it's it's so bizarre seeing it in full 4K with the Unreal Engine 5 yes. you know your characters get dirty and wet in real time as they're fighting it still has that sense of humor there's still Lars Alexanderson the Swedish knight who is also a military guy there's a lot of like military guy Nina's a military guy uh, Dragonov's a military guy. Everybody's uh, Lee's a military guy. Zafina's like a military lady. Every, uh, Victor, it's it's just this hodgepodge of like cool karate films, Yakuza, corporate warlords, Bruce Lee, just <laughs> the entire law family hanging out, as well as like cute Japanese like idol characters. Like it's it's just this beautiful pastiche of bonkers things a Japanese teenager think is rad. Mm -hmm. And as a 40-year-old dude in America, I also kind of think it's rad. Harada said, I actually had the ending of the story kind of plotted out in 1996. I was writing down the story and thinking, okay, we'll probably have one more after this one. And this is how it's going to be wrapped up. But then as I was making it, I thought that games could be made really quickly. I think the quickest I've ever made a new game is maybe in six months. So I thought if I could make a lot more installments at a higher pace, then we'd be finished. But then it turned out development stretched, and then you just had a longer period between games that it took more time than I thought. In the meantime, you have all these new staff joining in part way through who come up with new ideas for that particular installment, which puts the ending off even farther. So it just grew from there. So the ending, I didn't see it taking this long to get there. I had uh, one back then, but it's just gradually grown along with the series. If there's an end, it'll be when I'm buried, whenever that is. Jesus. Another thing that's kind of weird is how it works on your psyche. Once we got the Guinness for the longest running story, then you kind of think, okay, well, I want to keep this. I don't want to let any other game take over that record. So we have to make the story continue. And in the last game, I I loved the ending of the last game. You have this like crazy battle that takes place between Haihachi and his son, Kazuya. This amazing like Dragon Ball style epic battle between Haihachi Kazuma that just goes on and on and on and uh, essentially Jin is now determined to take on the victor of that battle and take him out for good and and rise up to the top and yeah it's very it's very as you mentioned before it's very operatic and I'm very excited for the new story in Tekken 8 which is again 
coming uh, right around the corner. I believe it's maybe even out upon release of this episode. But yeah, it's one of the things I'm like. In terms of breathtaking cinematics, uh, one of Lee Shaolan's uh, canon endings in which he takes over the Zaibatsu and uses the money to hang out poolside with bikini babes (laughs) and makes uh, Hayachi in a Speedo deliver him whiskey. I just, I love the King Orphanage bullshit. It's so funny. Is so silly. But well, that's based on like, you know, El Santo and all these like, you know, uh, I, I don't remember the name of the actual luchador, but, uh, you know, the Nacho Libre's inspiration. Like that was a real priest in Mexico that like wrestled to fund an orphanage. Amazing. I love it. So, yeah, I just I can't say enough good things about this franchise and especially where it's at right now. There's so much excitement and, t- and anticipation for Tekken 8. And it, it's it's really Aside from the initial boom in the 90s, I think this is probably the best time to be playing fighting games. MK1, Street Fighter 6, and now Tekken 8 alone are incredible. And then there's all the other games around them that's just creating this like groundswell of absolute joy and love for not only like fighting games as a uh, competitive experience and Evo and all that good stuff, but also as even a single player experience, as I feel like they've really learned, even with Street Fighter 6. Capcom really doling out some strong solo, you know, experiences for fighting games, which I, I'm hopeful will draw more and more people to it. I've never been more of a fan than I am right now of fighting games as I just got my first uh, leverless controller, all button arcade controller uh, with my Razor Kitsu name. And it's just I'm just loving it. So, man, I'm just so glad that people are saying, like, fighting games are back. I've, I I felt like I've, I had to suffer through the dark days of Street Fighter V, man. It was brutal. Uh, I have one last quote before we wrap things up. Jake, do you have anything else you want to say about Tekken before, well, I, before I spout these I golden words of Harada? It's uh, almost insulting that we didn't acknowledge 2005's PlayStation 2 Tekken's Nina Williams in colon Death by Degrees, <laughs> a third person action movie starring uh, the franchise's famous aloof, barely clothed blonde lady, Nina Williams. Uh, it's uh, I saw footage of it. Uh, it looks like a poorly put together, uh, extremely horny version of Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> that makes sense. That and makes not sense. to say that Metal Gear Solid 2 wasn't also horny, but this was this is a more kind of uh, just down the center horny. Somehow horny-er. Well, Harada had this to say when asked about his feelings after 30 years of working on tech and going into the eighth installment. It's changed over the years. I mean, when I first started, it was more about creating something that I liked or improving and making it better to match what I thought it could be. And then partway through, there was a period where I wanted to show everyone around me that I knew the most about fighting games. And I loved that genre more than anyone else, which sounds kind of juvenile now. But at the time, I felt quite strongly about that. But then over the years, there were more opportunities to travel abroad to various shows or tournaments. With the internet being so big now, it's possible to easily interact with the fan base and the community and to gather all this feedback and their opinions about what we've made. Then I drifted towards having to live up to those expectations that everyone's built up regarding the franchise. For Tekken 7, it felt like my life's work. It could have been the last installment, so I had to make it the best it could be. But then it was released, and it did really well, and now it's like Tekken 8's got to be even better than Tekken 7. So there's no regrets for me or any of my staff on the team. It's something we constantly talk about. This could be it. You better give it all you have. Boom! Amazing. Tekken, baby. 
All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you pick up Tekken 8 and become a part of the FGC officially. Uh, please do that, or at least go look up the lore videos. Go get tapped in. It's something else. If you'd like to support us further over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. For $5 a month, you can enjoy bonus episodes from Jake and I where we talk about what's currently going on in nerd news. We talk about what we're playing and watching at home all that good stuff. You can also uh, get ad-free episodes as well uh, from these main feed episodes. And over on the uh, $15 tier, you can join us on Discord for our Sunday study session. This past week, we actually did our production meeting. We do that once every few months or so where we plan out the episodes we're going to do, the topics we're going to do uh, a few months in advance with our Sunday study group. And it's always a great time. But usually, we're enjoying the thing that we are researching that week. Uh, we also watched some Tekken 8 uh, trailers and stuff at the end of that uh, production meeting. It was awesome. Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Check me out on twitch.tv forward slash Ho. I'm streaming all throughout the week. It's a great time, but I don't stream on Thursdays because on Thursdays, this motherfucker right here streams as a purple puppet hey. man. Jake? Uh, that's right. If you go to twitch.tv slash puppet Jared, that's, uh, on Thursday nights, I host the cartoon dumpster, a, uh, wacky look back on some of the weirdest, most atrocious animated shows from the eighties, nineties, and two thousands. Last, last night broke me, Holden. We watched an episode of street shark. So goddamn stupid, <laughs> so stupefyingly awful Love and it. ugly and horrible that I like lost contact with the earth itself. It was, <laughs> I, I'm forever changed by the saga of El Sordo. Oh my God. The fighting swordfish man. It was horrifying. Lordy Lou. Also, quick plug for a friend of the show, Matt McMuscles, who did a whole What Happened episode on the Tekken live action movie that we uh, didn't get to this episode. An incredible story of uh, grand designs and uh, mid-tier Hollywood bickering that just uh, resulted in one of the most uh, classic boggles in uh, live action video game adaptation history. Check that out over on Matt McMuscle's YouTube. Everything I know about it, I learned from that video. You should just watch it for yourself. Oh, also, I should just briefly mention Tekken Bloodlines is on Netflix. If you want an anime taste of the lore, that centers around the events of Tekken 3 and gives you a good basis if, if you're trying to get into the lore in a more like you know, uh, story-like way. I think that'll kind of, that'll dump you into it pretty well as well. Uh, all right. Shall we close it out, Jake? Until next time. Never stop whizzing! And keep on bruising! Yeah! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.
The legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.